there, and welcome to Sex and the Sacred, where history, religion, and sexuality collide. I'm your host, Anna Zuckerman, and today I'm here to introduce you to a world of intrigue and illicit affairs in the height of the Renaissance. At its head reigned a man who was commonly considered to be one of the most notorious figures in Christendom. He and his children are known as the first crime family, and the rumors surrounding them would stain their reputation for centuries to come. You're listening to Sex and the Sacred, and today we're talking about Rodrigo Borgia. Before we get started, I have two quick notes for you. First, welcome back. I'm finally moved in and settled into my new place, which means podcasting can resume. Second, I have a content warning. Today's episode will contain mentions of sexual acts and behaviors. Please listen or mute, censor, or pause accordingly. All right, now that you've been warned, let's jump right into it, starting with this diary entry from Johann Burchard. On the evening of the last day of October, 1501, Cesare Borgia arranged a banquet in his chambers in the Vatican with 50 honest prostitutes called courtesans, who danced after the dinner with the attendants and the others who were present, at first in their garments, then naked. After the dinner, the candelabra with the burning candles were taken from the tables and placed on the floor, and chestnuts were strewn around, which the naked courtesans picked up, creeping on hands and knees between the chandeliers, while the Pope, Cesare, and his sister Lucrezia looked on. Finally, prizes were announced for those who could perform the act most often with the courtesans, such as tunics of silk, shoes, barrettes, and other things. This infamous diary entry describes an event known to historians as the Banquet of Chestnuts. In it, Pope Alexander VI attends a banquet and orgy hosted by his son, Cardinal Cesare Borgia, who has arranged an evening's worth of licentious games and activities. This diary entry, unsurprisingly, shocked Catholics all over the world when it was finally published as recently as 1906. The story of the Banquet of Chestnuts, however, despite being one of the most intriguing stories in Burchard's diary, has never been confirmed to be true. Why then, you might ask, would I bother recounting it for you? I promise I'll get to that. But first, I have to give you some background info. Johann Burchard was the master of ceremonies in the papal court from 1483 until his death in 1506. As master of ceremonies, Johann was charged with documenting the activities within the Vatican and assisting the Pope. Essentially, his job was to remember all the details of church history and ritual tradition so that the Pope didn't have to. Burchard worked under several popes during his tenure as Master of Ceremonies. However, none of them created more controversy than the pontiff who reigned at the turn of the century, Rodrigo Borgia, also known as Pope Alexander VI. From the day he first donned the papal tiara until this very day, Rodrigo Borgia has served as a lesson and a warning for historical scholars about the importance of rumor in shaping history and the dangers of sensational story hunting. Let's get a little further into it. 
Rodrigo Borgia took the name Alexander VI when he was elected pope in 1492 and held power in Rome until his death in 1503. He's commonly considered to have been the head of the first crime family in history. Based on his fierce protection and promotion of his children's financial and influential interests. If you wanted to learn more about the Borgia Pope and his life, you might turn to one of the several TV shows that have been written about him. If you do this, you might well be stunned by what you find. According to popular media, like the star's TV show The Borgias, the notorious pontiff completed a laundry list of deeds considered sins by the church. Not only did he host female lovers within the Vatican walls, but he sired children, engaged in polyamory, allowed incest between his children, traded gifts for sexual favors, lied, schemed for power, and, if he did not ruin it physically, corrupted the morals of Rome in its entirety. If you were to watch these shows without any prior knowledge of Alexander VI, you might well believe him to truly be the most notorious pope in Catholic history. Certainly, that has been the common understanding for several centuries. However, if you were to read a history book instead of watching the admittedly far more attention-holding TV show, you would learn these details instead. Rodrigo Borgia did indeed have illegitimate children. He fathered four of them by Vanazza de Catane, his lifelong mistress, and financially supported them all. He also kept mistresses within the Vatican, including the infamous beauty Giulia Farnese. Borgia was an especially talented administrator, in addition to being an active lover. He promoted the financial health of the Vatican and organized its record system. He encouraged exploration to the New World when he signed into effect the Doctrine of Discovery and spread his religion across the Atlantic. Perhaps most importantly to his reputation, Borgia was also Spanish, and as a result, his Italian cardinals hated him. So what explains the big difference here? Can the gap between a licentious, conniving villain and a sexually active administrator be reconciled under the heading of artistic license? Not this time, and here's why. The popular media sources that have written about Borgia's sensational exploits are telling stories that have existed for centuries. However, they are recounting the rumors that circulated through Rome in the Renaissance, not the facts. For the last 500 years, the xenophobic rhetoric, the accusations of incest, and the gossip surrounding his character have shaped the way that we perceive Rodrigo Borgia and his whole family. So what are you saying, Anna, you ask? Are you claiming that Borgia was a maligned hero of history, like you did with Mary Magdalene? Absolutely not. What I am saying is that, in this instance, our collective memory has been shaped by rumor rather than fact. If you'll allow me, I'll share my experience with the Borgia Pope and then circle back and explain why I had to share the Banquet of Chestnuts story. As a scholar of religion and sexuality, and as a young adult with an affinity for intrigue, I was naturally drawn to the story of Rodrigo Borgia. I loved the TV shows with their rich costumes, perfectly beautiful actors, and sumptuous displays of papal decadence. I latched onto Jeremy Irons' portrayal of the Borgia Pope, 
His gravelly voice made him the epitome of religious, chaotic anti-herodom. In fact, I loved the Borgia-themed intrigue enough to write a paper about it. In a Renaissance and Reformation class taught by a highly regarded professor of early modern history, I wrote an admittedly lacking essay about which stories were true from the Borgias show and highly praised the adaptation. I dismally received my grade and put together a far better paper for my final. However, I didn't actually learn my lesson. That professor was gracious enough to allow me a seat in his early modern religion and state-making graduate seminar the next fall. And wouldn't you know it, I tried to talk about Rodrigo Borgia again, this time as a part of a paper on sexually active pontiffs. When I attended office hours, enthusiastically explaining my plan to expand heavily on Borgia's pontificate, he told me simply, stay away from the Borgias, Anna. (laughs) I was so upset. I had been hoping to ride on my knowledge of the Star's TV show instead of taking the risk on a more scholarly and more unfamiliar thesis. In the end, I was incredibly grateful for the advice. I wrote a paper titled Rumor and Reputation, an analysis of the role of rumor in the formation of papal expressions of sexuality between 1450 and 1650. I felt like a real scholar for the first time. The point of this story is that rumors are important to understand, but cannot take the place of historical facts. Knowing the gossip stories, like the Banquet of Chestnuts, matters because it helps us understand how Rodrigo Borgia became larger than life in history. It is also important to know that story because it's important to know that it very well may not be true. This is the danger of sensationalism, and it took me two semesters to learn that. If you look at the Borgia Pope's life in popular sources, including modern TV shows and gossip writings from his own time, Rodrigo appears to be a supervillain of licentiousness in Vatican history. However, placed in his proper historical context, his notoriety boils down to two simple offenses. First, he sired children while on the papal throne. And second, he was an intelligent, powerful Spanish pope in a curia of Italian cardinals. Rumors and hearsay turned Rodrigo Borgia from an administrative, albeit sexually active, pope into a villainous stain on Catholicism's record. Did the Borgia pope break his vows, engage in nepotism, and further his causes on the papal throne? Absolutely. Did he do anything more extreme than any of his fellow popes? Not at all. It's important to remember the essential difference between rumor and reality. It seems like a simple distinction, I know, but historians are constantly struggling to find it. Historical memory changes year by year. In his time, it is unlikely that Pope Alexander VI was regarded as worse than any other unpopular ruler. In fact, two of his successors claimed he was one of the best popes in Catholic history. And yet, time and talk have changed his life, work, and reputation forever. To reiterate, this man was neither a saint or even a particularly praiseworthy figure. And yet, he is not the supervillain history and cinema have made him out to be. When we take on a historical analysis, 
we are taking on the burden of finding the truth. The problem is, however, that truth changes constantly. Rodrigo Borgia became the subject of sensational stories from the day he arrived in Rome, and it is unlikely that his name will ever reclaim the gravity or respect that it once held. Popes, especially in the High Renaissance period, have been sexually active, dedicated fathers, and power-hungry leaders in the way that so many noble families in history have been. The Borgia Pope was simply good at it, and good at getting away with it. A thorough understanding of Borgia's life must include both a factual history of his reign and an analysis of the role that rumor has played in forming his legacy. To any of you who want to pursue historical research, I beg you to beware. Read the sensational stories and enjoy them. But don't let gossip deter you from seeking the truth. The study of religion and sexuality is enriched by understanding rumors and hearsay. However, it is equally undermined when we perceive the past only in the way that centuries of gossip have transformed it. Read, learn, and write, but be discerning, my friends. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned a little bit about the not-so-infamous Rodrigo Borgia. Next time on Sex and the Sacred, I'll be discussing Gangama worship in modern-day India. Subscribe now and make sure you don't miss it. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Pope Alexander VI, the Borgia family, or the role of rumor in shaping historical memory, head to www.sexandthesacred.com where you can find the show notes for this and every episode. Likewise, if you'd like to get in on our super cool Sex and the Sacred t-shirts, mugs, clocks, and other merch, search for Sex and the Sacred on your Redbubble or Patreon pages, where you can find us and help support the show. That's all for now. I'm your host, Anna Zuckerman, and you're listening to Sex and the Sacred, where history, religion, and sexuality collide. Thanks for tuning in with me. I'll see you next time.